Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey everybody, David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. In this episode, Lucas and I had the honor of sitting down with Natalie Rothman, the Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer for Advanced Auto Parts. Natalie was serving as a Senior Director in Human Resources with PepsiCo when she was recruited by the CEO and Chairman of the Board of Advanced Auto Parts to lead the Human Resources Department. As you can imagine, this is no small task. Advance is a $10 billion company with over 70,000 employees. She helped enact change within the company by rebuilding the C-suite team and recruiting top talent and putting them into key leadership positions. She also had a positive impact on the company's well-established 88-year culture by improving diversity representation, enhancing the team member experience, and building a stronger employer brand. Listen to the specific tactics she employed to make this happen and her advice to small organizations like the repair shops we own and run. Now, without further ado, here we go. So we'll kind of just jump right in here. Um, okay, and uh, I, I had listened to a podcast you did a while back and you talked about the true cost of turnover. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that is so um, important for especially the shops of ASOG right now for a number of different reasons. You know, we hear a lot about not just a technician shortage, but a skilled trades shortage. Mm-hmm. Um And we know the labor market's changing and I'm just going to be transparent about it. It it seems like every day somebody posts in ASOG and and ASOG, in in case you don't know, stands for Auto Shop Owners Group. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems like every single day somebody's posting and saying, hey, I'm having a problem with this person. And some of the old guard shop owners will say, well, just fire him, just let him go. 
Mm-hmm. And and it's becoming more and more realistic over the the past. Not, not only that, though, they do they do let them go when somebody approaches them with a a, a, a raise or asking for a raise. They'll they'll approach mm-hmm. the shop owner and say, "Hey, can I get a dollar more an hour? Two dollars mm-hmm. more an hour? Five dollars more an hour?" Mm-hmm. And the first intuition for, for a lot of, a lot of these shop owners is to yeah. let them go, and they say, "Well, if you, okay, I get it." I the, in their mind, they're thinking, "I can't afford to keep this person." Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were interested in your perspective from a macro level v- viewpoint, you know, it, is it worth keeping that person? What does that look like? Especially from, you know, having to manage as many employees as, as what you deal with, you know, yeah. wh- what does that look like for you? Yeah. I mean, I think there are two aspects of turnover that apply to shop owners. It applies to advanced auto parts. I mean, it really applies to any company of any size. There's the financial cost of turnover, So, you know, you have to spend money to find candidates. It's everything from posting a job to training hours to developing that person. Um, And then, you know, if they have relationships with customers and they leave and they take those customers with them, there are some hard financial costs of it. I think the other cost of turnover, which a lot of people don't talk about, and maybe it's more relevant in the example you just gave me, is the emotional cost of turnover, So, you know, if you're working in a small shop and you've got five people there or 10 people there, or, you know, for us, we've got stores that have a handful of people to, you know, larger boxes that have many more people. I mean, people come to work every day and they spend a lot of time there. They want to be in an environment where they feel comfortable. We've had our team members tell us that they feel like they're part of a family when they come to work. So if you think about someone like leaving the family and how disruptive that is and um, the emotional drain that that causes for other employees that actually have to cover their work and the shop owner, like, oh my gosh, where am I going to find a replacement for this person? It's pretty high. So, uh, you know, I look at it two ways. There's the hard cost of it and then there's the emotional cost of it. And on, on top of that, you know, you don't want people thinking, wow, the grass may be greener somewhere else. You know, this person left, they got this much an hour. So, uh, you know, what, what I would say to shop owners that have people approaching them, you know, I would find out, um, I'd have a conversation with the person and sort of find out, uh, you know, what, what they're thinking, um, you know, why is it that they think they need the dollar raise? I mean, maybe there's some competitive data out there where they know other people in the business are making more than they are. And then have a plan to make sure that the person is, you know, engaged and happy. Maybe you can't give them the dollar. Maybe you give them 50 cents and they're getting great recognition. Maybe, you know, at the end of the year, if the shop is doing well, there's a small bonus for employees or there's profit sharing. But I, I think there this emotional cost piece people overlook. And now that there's such a large labor shortage, I think people are beginning to realize, you know, people come to work to make money. There's no doubt about that. But they also come to work because they feel they want to feel good. Um, they want to feel comfortable where they work. They want to feel like they're having an impact. And, you know, I think particularly in our industry, they're doing something that they love. Um, so I think that, you know, it's important to think about those both both of those factors if you know you have turnover in your shop or you know you're concerned about turnover so the default setting though you're trying to keep them on board as much as possible absolutely i mean you know and turnover is caused for various reasons i mean if you look at data if turnover is happening within the first 90 days of someone's employment most times that has to do with bad onboarding so you didn't spend time training someone you should say that again (laughs) 
That's fantastic. I'm going to make that the clip, by the way. Oh. <laughs> Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. So research will tell you um, that 90 days if someone leaves you know, your shop or if someone leaves one of our stores, it is most likely contributed to... Um, Poor onboarding. So the, you know, the manager or the shop owner or whoever was responsible for training the new employee did not do enough to get them up and running um, and comfortable with what their role is. That is typically what it is. If you look at the data and it's, you know, kind of six months or greater, um, turnover can be caused by other things. It can be anything from, you know, poor management to maybe bad cultural fit. Um, I think in the labor market that we have, there is, you know, a war for talent and you're going to have people kind of throwing money at the best people that are out there. So I think it is important not only to make sure that, you know, you're paying people competitively, um, but also making sure that people are feeling engaged and good at work. And that's everything from, you know, recognizing someone for a job well done, um, celebrating a success, having, you know, a pizza party, having some sort of, um, recognition for someone's hard work. And I, I think that goes a long way. And I, I don't think a lot of, um, you know, leaders think about that on a daily basis. But, you know, when you have humans working for you, and and I know the shop owners, I mean, it is a people intensive business, you've got to figure out what motivates your employees, how do you keep them engaged, and make sure, you know, it's not only the wages that need to be competitive, but make sure you're doing those other things so they feel engaged and, you know, the employee is going to give you their best work. You know, that really connects with something that I was taught years ago, and I was taught to, to put a number of quarters in my pocket. And I said, why would I put five quarters in my pocket? And the, the man teaching me this said, because you've got five employees. He said, you take a quarter out of one pocket and put it in the other every single time you give them praise or you pat them on the back and tell them they did a mm -hmm. good job. Mm -hmm. And he said, you, you do that until those quarters switch in your pockets three times a day. And he said, that is the biggest retention tool you'll ever have. Show them you appreciate them. Say, thank you. Give yep. them a pat on the back. And, and I think as shop owners, we become so caught up in the daily activity, 
right? Mm-hmm. We, we're, we're in the middle of the fire. We're going as fast as we can. We're trying to keep up with all of the fires we have to put out. Mm-hmm. And we can so easily overlook just saying, hey, man, that was a great job. You did really good sure. with that client. You, you fixed that car well, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm really proud of you. And I think that makes a huge difference. And, you know, that's one of the things that I, I found interesting about your organization, because over the past couple of years, I've noticed that there are programs in place out here at our store level in, in our local store where they're being rewarded for good performance. Mm-hmm. And it's neat to see that from the outside looking in now that that it's made an impact. I thought that was really mm-hmm. cool. Oh, good. Well, thanks for noticing. Yeah, what we've tried to do is make recognition part of everyday culture. And as you said, you know, it's not just about money. You, you want to recognize someone for a job well done or fixing a customer's problem or going the extra mile. Because at the end of the day, that's going to build up goodwill. And that customer is going to refer you other customers. I mean, that's what this is all about. Or they're going to post on social media and say, I was just in Lucas Underwood's shop and I had this unbelievable experience and you're going to get a great Yelp rating. I mean, people go to Yelp, they go to Facebook. Um, You know, there are a ton of different ways through social media that people can help you or also hurt you, you know, that they had a bad experience. And, you know, if your employees are not happy um, they're not going to be happy in terms of interacting with your customers. So it's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it just makes for good business. And, you know, ultimately, I think it creates loyalty for the, you know, the employees that you have, and they're going to go the extra mile for you if you treat them right. Right. So how do you approach that, though, as large of an organization as, as what you have to deal with? I'm, I'm, I imagine you're putting systems in place to ensure that, hey, these are the steps we need to take at the the corporate level and then at the individual store level to ensure that these things are getting done to ensure that we try to retain as many employees as possible because it does get expensive having to replace them and and you know overall store performance will drop and you know there's there's so many ramifications to having somebody leave as you're saying it's very disruptive so how how do you take that approach then and without making it um to corporate, I guess, is, is the way. Yeah. Like, hey, corporate is dictating that we say you're doing a good job. So good right. job. Yeah. I mean, it really can't be corporate. I mean, we get a lot of feedback from customers and from our field leaders that are in our stores and in our distribution centers in terms of what's going on. I think one of the first things that we did when I got to advance was really assess, did we have the right structure and the right leaders um, leading the people that are in our stores? Do you have the right general managers in the stores? And, uh, you know, we've definitely raised the bar in terms of performance. Um, We want to make sure when people, customers come in our store, they're having a great experience. And you need the right leaders to do that, that are going to hold people accountable for their performance. I think where corporate comes in is around tools and technology. So, you know, training, making sure that people understand the product offerings that we have, um, making sure that if someone comes in and they need their battery changed or their engine light is on, we know how to help that customer. We don't want them to go across the street to somebody else. So, you know, what I would say is make sure that you feel good about the leadership teams that you have in place. And for the smaller shop owners, you know, maybe there's one person that's kind of running the shift or it's the shop owner themselves. Like, are you you know, really giving good direction to your team. Are you clear on what you expect? Do they know what the expectation is? And do they know when they've done a job well done? And then sort of what tools and technology do you have to help them? So, you know, we do a lot of training in advance. It's very important for us. And it's everything from, 
you know, product training to um, selling skills. Um, and then on top of that, we've invested quite a bit in terms of recognition. So we have a program called Spark. People can give each other points. So um, leaders can give people in the stores points. Um, they're tied to our cultural beliefs. And then there's peer-to-peer -peer recognition as well. So an employee can go online. This is all accessible you know, through people's phones and recognize somebody for a job well done, recognize someone for a birthday, a service anniversary. Wow. Um, That's cool. And then, yeah. And then we have other programs where or rewarding people financially with, you know, with stock for great performance, or if a region does really well. I mean, there's a bunch of different things that we have um, to recognize people. And you don't really have to spend a lot of money to do this. But I will tell you that, you know, we have these certificates that people can print out. And when you go in the stores, they're everywhere. People are so proud that they've received the certificate. And if you go to other, um, you know, other places, like if you ever go to Sheets, um, you know, I go there sometimes for, I always go there for gas, but sometimes I'll go in and buy a coffee or something, you know, on the employees, um, suspenders, they've got pins that talk about employee of the month or things that they've done well. Um, a lot of companies do that. And again, that doesn't cost a lot of money for a shop owner, but you know, if you want to have a contest about, you know, how many great customer comments you get in a month and someone gets rewarded for that. I mean, that's going to gen generate a really nice, healthy competition between, you know, all the people that you have in the shop. But then on top of that, you know, I think people are going to be getting better customer service. So there's lots of ways to do it. But I, you know, I think it really, it, it starts with the customer experience. That's how we think about it. And then we kind of work our way back in terms of, you know, how do we say yes to our customers? How do we make people feel good when they come in the stores and leave and want to come back again? Or, refer advance to a friend. And we do, you know, look at social media and there's, you know, lots of great postings. We also get, you know, letters sometimes where a customer didn't have a great experience and we respond to them and we want to resolve it because at the end of the day, you know, if our customers are not happy with us, that impacts our total business. So I, I had had a really good relationship with advance in the past, right? I'm going to tell a little story here. Um, had a really great relationship and we had a commercial parts pro that was really awesome and things happened and he left mm -hmm. and it was, it was a, a turnover for the entire store. Now this was, this was before the recent changes, if you will. And it became evident that he was kind of the one piece holding that store together. He was the mm -hmm. one who was getting us our parts and making things work. And when things didn't go right, he was the one who could fix it. And you could see when there was a decline. Mm -hmm. And so I had stepped away from advance. And over the past two years, I've been working really closely with some of the people that I know in the area. And I'm going to tell you something. You know, A, I, I think it really shows that turnover in your stores has an impact on us. Mm -hmm. And I think you can feel in the past, especially five to six years with your organization, those of us who are using your organization, that that turnover has significantly decreased. Mm -hmm. And and I think that is a true testament to rewarding your staff and, and showing them you care. Um, but also the fact that, um, especially in that turnover that happened, now we're seeing a different culture in this store. And, and by that, I mean, you know, for the longest time I said, you know, it didn't seem like anybody there 
there cared about us. They didn't, you know, they didn't understand what we were going through as shop owners. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a few years later, we go to a training event and all the training staff said, hey, you know, how do you feel about this? What are you going through? What are you experiencing? What What's going on in your shop? And I thought, well, they sure seem interested in what we're doing. And they're talking mm-hmm. to every shop owner that comes through the door. Mm-hmm. And then I started talking to our local staff and they really seemed to care. I'm going to tell you something. There was a huge cultural shift in that organization. It, instead of it being about dollar bills or or numbers, it seems like there was a shift in the culture that was more about people. They were mm-hmm. interested in what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something that we talk about with shop owners quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Where does that culture come from? How do we, you know, as a single shop owner, right? You, you run in your shop. You may have been a technician. You may have been a service advisor. And you come up to the the front counter here and, and you're really caring for your clients and you're running it a specific way. But now it's time to scale that. It's time to grow. Mm-hmm. How do we teach them that culture? How do we convince them that that's the way we've got to move forward, caring for our clients? How do we show them that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm so glad that you're noticing a difference. And, uh, you know, that makes me feel great. I mean, we're a people intensive business. If you don't take care of your people, they're not going to take care of your customers. I mean, and I think regardless of how big you are, you can have a shop with three people in it, or you can have a shop with 10 people in it. But if you're not taking care of your people, they're not going to take care of your customers. You know, I think culture is a choice. I think it's about, you know, how you want people to think and act. And the shop owner has the responsibility to role model the right type of behavior um, for its employees. So, you know, Lucas, if you come in every morning and yell at everybody, which I'm sure you don't, they're not going to feel great. And, you know, people are going to be unhappy and they're going to be unhappy when they're dealing with your customers. If you come in every morning and, you know, you show empathy and caring for your team as, as people because they're humans and, you know, I think empathy is such an important trait in a culture and in a leader. Um, people are going to, you're going to make people feel good. Wow. Lucas just asked me about my son. Um, you know, he knows that someone in my family got COVID. He asked how they're doing. You make people feel special. And I think um, ultimately making people feel good um, is contagious. I do think that when people are treated well, they're going to treat other people well. And then I think they see the benefits of it. So, you know, I, I think what I would say is it starts from the top. Um, you have to decide what you want the culture to be like. You have to decide what's important. You have to communicate that to your employees, but then show up and act that way every day. Because you can say you want your culture to be any certain way that you want it to be. But at the end of the day, if you don't walk the talk and show people that you mean it, um, you know, people just won't believe it. So I, I do think it starts with the shop owner. And um, I do think it starts with treating people as humans. I, you know, I will say, obviously, nobody wanted the global pandemic. But, you know, I have noticed that uh, over the last year, people definitely have become a lot more empathetic. Um, at work, outside of work, you know, when I start phone calls with people, it's how are you doing? How's your family doing? And, you know, I hope that never goes away. I I really do. I really hope that people continue this sort of empathy for other humans. And I think that is a great underlying um, trait to have in your culture. 
But I think every shop owner has to decide what do they want it to look like. And if it really is customer first, then it has to be people first. And you have to figure out what makes your team tick. How do you motivate them? Some people are just motivated by money, but most people it's both. It's it's recognition, you know, what motivates your team and then figure out how do you incorporate that in the everyday. And again, it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be a huge investment. I mean, it can be, again, everything from a contest and you have an employee of the month or it's, you know, your net promoter score score or someone got the best, you know, rating for 30 days on Yelp. And, you know, you do a little something for them and it will be contagious and it will really change how people show up for you every day. Definitely. And, and, you know, I've always heard that leadership is learning, right? And, and that's mm-hmm. on multiple different levels, but, you know, especially learning your staff and, mm-hmm. and, and getting a feel for them and, and understanding who their family is and who you're working with and, and truly caring about that human being as a human being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's, again, you know, I talk often about being in the thick of it, you know, in a shop, you're, you've got things that went wrong. It's easy to, um, to kind of get a little frustrated in certain mm-hmm. circumstances. Mm-hmm. You're far less likely to do that if you truly know somebody. Mm-hmm. And, and I think especially as we start to see these shops that are getting to where uh, the owner is an absentee owner. It can mm-hmm. be a lot easier to look at someone as a number or look at someone as a right. as as just a piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. um, and and it becomes more difficult to keep that thought process that this is a human being. I care for them. I want what's best for them and their family. Um, right. And you know, I I know that that's definitely a challenge for some folks for sure. But it's all about human beings in my mind. Sure. Right? Well, and I think with absentee owners, I guess what I would say is there's got to be somebody managing the shop for them and they have to really assess, is that the right person that's going to be a role model for how customers will be treated when they come in store and how the employees will be treated. And, you know, at the end of the day, hopefully the absentee owners can come in and, and see people, you know, however often it is and, you know, walk around, buy people lunch. I mean, again, that goes a really long way. But um, just because you're not there every day doesn't mean you don't have the ability to impact and influence the culture. You're just doing it through somebody else and make sure it's the right person. So you you came from PepsiCo, right? I did. And so moving from a very large company to another large company, mm-hmm. and just, just like Lucas is saying, you, there was a cultural shift. I saw it as well in my local stores. Uh, because I'm surrounded by Worldpack, Advance, mm-hmm. and CarQuest. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they started getting bought up by Advance, and you started to see some of the product changes and the personnel changes, their approach to the way they dealt with my shop, although I had a very good relationship with Worldpack's delivery drivers, because mm, <laughs> we just order everything online, yeah. um, I, I, we started to develop relationships with some of the outside salespeople who had never been in before. All of a sudden, they're showing up at my shop. I thought that was interesting. I'm getting phone calls from the local stores I mm. wasn't getting before. That's uh, great. There, there definitely was a cultural shift. So coming in from a PepsiCo into an advance, how, how do you start making those cultural changes? Uh, because it's easy to say, well, you just got to shift the culture. Okay, so step one, what do I do? Yeah. um, And you definitely can't do that, right? I mean, when I first came in, I I really didn't know a whole lot about the business. I mean, I had worked with a 
frontline dispersed workforce before, but I had never worked in retail and I had never worked in auto. I mean, I think it's important to assess the situation you're in. I did a lot of listening. I spent a lot of time in stores and DCs. I was, um, you know, at a World Pack branch in a, in a DC with um, our, our head of professional, Bob Cushing, we were in New Jersey. Um, but I really spent time just understanding what was going on with the business and then trying to figure out where the culture was. Because, you know, we are a, a company that's, you know, almost 90 years old, a lot of history, um, a lot of proud history of, you know, everything that we've done. And you're right, culture doesn't just shift overnight, but culture is about leaders. And I think that, um, you know, a few months in, I think we sort of realized, you know what, we, um, our values are inspire, serve and grow. People are very proud of those values. But on top of that, that's sort of the foundation. How do we want people to act um, when they come in every day? And we wanted something more specific than inspire, serve, and grow. We developed six cultural beliefs. Um, they all have I statements. I mean, they're very simple. You know, it's everything from be accountable to take action, to grow talent, to champion inclusion. And, you know, we took uh, the top 100 people in the company and put them together in a room for two days and said, okay, what do you think the, sh- the culture needs to move to for us to continue to grow and, uh, you know, transform? Wow, that's company? interesting. And they, they came up with these, you know, with these six. And one of the, you know, one of them, too, was move forward, which was interesting. So, you know, how do you kind of take the best of what you've done in the past and kind of move forward as a new company? But they came up with the six. We embedded them in everything that we did. And then we started holding people accountable and made sure that when we were hiring leaders, I mean, we, you know, we developed interview guides with the cultural beliefs. It was part of our organizational health um, survey, which we had never done before. It was part of a lot of the diversity and inclusion work that we were doing. It was in every town hall, every communication. And then when you go in the stores, it was in the stores. And then the recognition was tied to it too, between, you know, that Spark online recognition program, as well as, uh, you know, Fuel the Frontline, which is an opportunity for people to win stock in the company for um, hitting their goals. So what I would say is it's it's happening. It happened over time. Um, There are, you know, culture is a squishy thing and there are some quantitative ways that you can see if the culture is moving. I mean, we did an org health survey when I first got there and the engagement scores were low. Um, We did an org health survey this past year and, you know, the scores were phenomenal and they're up, um, you know, almost 20 points from uh, probably closer to 15 points from, you know, when we first did the survey, uh, you know, in late 2016. So, um, you know, that's one way to measure it. Turnover is another way to mention it, measure it. I mean, if people are happy, they're not going to leave, you know, the company. Um, and then you look at business results. So, you know, I think people talk about culture a lot. And, you know, I do think, you know, do you have the right leaders in place? That's where it starts. But I think you can start seeing the shift when you start seeing different business results and then these other factors. Because um, if people are engaged, they're not going to leave. Um, you know, I, most shop owners aren't going to do organizational health, but, you know, they can tell by the turnover. They can also probably tell by the customer feedback, soliciting that feedback. I mean, how do customers feel when they come in the shop? Um, are they getting the help they need? Do they feel good about the repairs that have happened? So I think there's lots of ways to look at it, but I don't think it's something you flip the switch on and it just happens. I think it's a journey. 
I'm proud of where we are in our journey, but you know, I, I think that, uh, it, it's, it definitely takes time and I don't think we're done with, you know, what we want to do from a culture standpoint. I think it's, you know, just something continuous that we keep working on. I think it's important to note, and that's a fantastic answer because it's important to note how deliberate that sounded. Like, I, I think the answer to you was very organic and it just, no, this was what we did, but from a, teeny tiny micro business standpoint <laughs> you took very deliberate actions there yes. you know, we, we, took, we put a yep. hundred people in the room we needed yep. to, to define we had these underpinnings that were guiding the company but we need to define those we need to know what they look like at a pragmatic level and then from there we need to then infuse everything that we just outlined into everything we do what does that look like from a customer interaction standpoint what does that look like on how we deal with our employees how do we look that in every single part of the organization? And I think that's what ends up being the the shortcoming sort of, because it is, like you said, squishy. I call it fluffy. It, it is a fluffy mm-hmm. topic. And I, I think it gets discounted very easily. And there, there's always a culture in an organization. There's always right. something there. It's yeah. never a vacuum. But the culture may well, not be the way you want it. And considering yeah. how deliberate you were about implementing some type of change to at least push it in a, del- again, deliberate direction, mm-hmm. I think it shouldn't be discounted by shop owners. Yeah. And I think, you know, if I was a shop owner, I mean, this all comes down to business, right? And the bottom line and making your customers happy. Why are people coming into your shop? Why are they going to the shop down the street? What are they doing differently? Is it the people? Is it the service? Is it the speed? Like, what is it? And I think, you know, if you kind of deconstruct what's going on with the business and the customer experience, and then look on social media, what's being said about the people that work for you or your managers that you have, or, you know, the service you're providing, I think that should give shop owners a really good idea of where their culture stands. And then they have to figure out what do they want to be. And I don't, you know, again, I know we did a lot of deliberate things and we're a big company, but it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It can be as much as sitting down and going through all the social media posts with your team members and saying, wow, this is really a job well done. You know, people see us as a solutions oriented shop that works fast and, you know, gives, you know, really good quality advice and people are really happy, or maybe it's the reverse of that and brainstorming with the team on like, what can we do? Because obviously if the shop does well, then the team members do well. People aren't going to get raises if the shop isn't doing well. Yeah. So I, I think there's some very simple things, but part of it is looking in the mirror and a shop owner has to be comfortable with kind of the good, bad and the ugly, and then decide what they want to do with it. If they want to have an impact, you know, I think the most powerful thing you said in that whole statement, and it was all powerful, don't misunderstand, but but you said something that really spoke to me because it was the kind of key to the cultural change in my operation. And it was hold people accountable, mm-hmm. right? Hold them accountable to the culture. And, and I'm not going to lie, the one that I had the biggest trouble with was every morning when I got up and looked in the mirror, right? Is holding myself accountable to those cultures mm-hmm. and the things that I was trying to accomplish within the organization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I employ a shop coach and he says, uh, no, try is a curse word in my dictionary. We don't try. <laughs> we do or we do not. You know, right. we're going to do this or we're not going to do this. We're going to make a decision. And one of the biggest challenges that I had was holding people accountable. 
right? Because I wanted to be the nice guy. I wanted to be the guy that everybody liked. And, and I've learned over the past five years that it doesn't have to mean that I'm being mean. It doesn't mean that I'm holding them accountable to necessarily specific rules. It's that we're holding them accountable to the culture itself. What do we believe in? And if this is not a good fit for you, I completely understand. I'll help you find something else, whatever we need to do. But it's about that culture and holding them accountable to it, because that's how I've developed the culture that every client that walks through this door knows they're part of this family. We really care. We want their vehicle to be safe. We want it to be reliable. That's our number one goal. We're not worried about the money. We're not worried about the time. We're not worried about any of that. Is the vehicle safe? Is it reliable? Would I put my child in that vehicle? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we held each other accountable. They hold me accountable. I hold them accountable. So I I think Mm -hmm. that was probably the most powerful statement you had in that whole thing for me anyway. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you just said something that resonated with me too. I mean, unfortunately, you can't always be liked in business. And, you know, when you're in a smaller shop, you're going to feel it more than in a bigger company, right? Because you got five people kind of looking at you. But at the end of the day, you're not going to get respect from your employees if you're not being direct with them and letting them know what you expect and then holding them accountable. And if you're just the nice guy that isn't being clear about what people need to go do, um, you know, at the end of the day, they're not going to like you anyway, but they will respect you if you're, you know, you're fair with the feedback and you're consistent. And I think that's the other thing is, you know, different rules for different people does not work very well. And I, you know, the decisions that I make with my team or for our company, I'm always thinking about, is this fair and equitable? And if I do this, um, I need to do it for everyone. And am I comfortable with that? And, you know, it's, uh, I don't get invited to every happy hour that my team has, and that's okay. I mean, I do socialize with them. Um, I've got a great relationship with my team, but I don't go in every day wanting to be liked. Um, I think I am. I think I think I, you know, have earned people's respect because I'm direct with them. But, you know, I think if you want to wake up every day and be loved, you know, being a shop owner may not be the best business to be in because you have (laughs) to make some really tough decisions and you have to be okay with that. It's hard being a boss. It really is. Very, very true. And it doesn't mean we have to be mean. Right. That's it doesn't right. mean that, we, right. you know, what if we enjoy being mean? What if that's part of the fun? I just want to <laughs> well, go in and yell at everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can be tough, but fair and people will respect you. I mean, at the end of the day, that's, that's what you want. And they'll be happy too. You know, they'll be happy that they know what they're being held accountable for and they'll be thrilled once they get the recognition, once they do it. You know, you said something else and and you keep talking about things that I have found success in my own business with that that resonate with me. And you said, you know, it, it was something to the effect of clear cut expectations. Mm-hmm. Right. If if we give them the clear cut expectations and and you know, for instance, we implemented something called a minimum level of acceptable performance in our facility. Mm-hmm. And that says, hey, listen, this is the minimum. We don't want to be below this. Mm-hmm. It's not outlandish. It's not over the top. It's this is the expectation. And, and you know, things like, for instance, the music being too loud in one of the bays or the, does the technician tuck his shirt, things like that, because we really want to present this professional image. And I think that those clear expectations have made them 
far happier, mm-hmm. right? Because they know where the bar is. They don't have to wonder, is Lucas okay with how this worked out? How does he feel about this? And then if things go wrong, we don't instantly flip out and go crazy about it. We say, hey, listen, let's talk about this. Let's figure out what went wrong and decide how to make sure it doesn't happen again. Let's work as a team to improve this situation. doesn't yep. have to be mean. It's coaching them through that. So yeah. that has been a, a big thing for us here. Well, and I think the other thing, too, is you want people to feel comfortable coming to you if they've made a mistake. That's why the not freaking out is important. So if there's a problem with someone's vehicle, you know, figure out how do you solve the problem with the vehicle? And then we'll talk about what happened later and how do you fix the process so it doesn't happen again. But I think if you're if you have a culture of fear, um, people are not going to come to you when they make mistakes. They're going to hide it. And that's just going to snowball into a lot of bad stuff. You want to know what's going on with your shop. You want to know what's happening. You know, you don't want people cutting any corners, obviously, for safety reasons. But, you know, at the end of the day, you have to show people it's okay that they can make mistakes as long as they learn from it. And then you move on. I mean, obviously, it's a problem if someone makes the same mistake over and over and over again. That's a different issue. But I think um, having your employees trust you that, you know what, I'm, I have to tell the boss this and it's going to cost extra money or whatever it might be um, is really important because you not only know what's going on with your shop, it builds trust. And again, it impacts the customer experience in a positive way. Right. And, you know, so we have apprentices in our shop. We've, we've got a young lady who is in the uh, one of the local automotive programs. She came from the high school, started here in high school, um, mm. and has worked all the way through the community college program. And, and North Carolina's got an amazing uh, automotive apprenticeship program. And, and it works really well because it means that if they sign up as an apprentice with our facility, A, they get uh, a locked-in pay rate that makes sure mm. they're paid fairly. Right. It's Mm -hmm. not minimum wage. It's it's a fair pay rate. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it also gets them uh, two free years of an automotive associate's degree at a local community college. Oh, that's great. Okay. And so it's a it's a really great program. But what I've learned is, is it gives us a tremendous responsibility. You know, we talk about the technician shortage. We talk about those who are not coming into our industry. That means we have to really make sure we're protecting those who are coming in, right? Mm -hmm. We have to work with them and make sure we're raising them up the right way. And I think that so many shops do have that. And and I don't want to call us all uh, or put us all in the same basket, but there is a professional image problem in independent repair shops. Mm -hmm. It's something that at some point we've got to address. We've got to take the elephant into the middle of the room and shoot it, as my shop coach would say. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the ways that I have found uh, that we have to start improving is we have to teach them the right way. And if we're yelling at them, if we're disrespectful to them, if we're not leading them mm-hmm. and helping them build the culture as part of that, they're not going to stay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just talked to a technician the other day and and he said, listen, you've got to fix the issue in shops where these people are getting beat down. They come in and they, you know, they change oil for three or four years. Um, then they go and they change tires for three or four more years. They're Mm -hmm. never given opportunity. And every time something goes wrong, as opposed to understanding and teaching them through it, someone's Mm -hmm. yelling at them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a big thing for us is, is we need to get to the point that we're raising up that next generation 
and we're being understanding, especially for a new a new hire, someone that's young, just coming into this field. Man, they're not going to have all of the answers right now. Give them right. a breath. Take a step right. back. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, that makes sense. How, how do you deal with that? Uh, you know, dealing in an organization large, as large as what you have, um, bringing people in, but then you you said engaged, but a lot of times that has to do with seeing a pathway or an opportunity like this isn't just a part-time job to do on the weekends or just in the evenings this could turn into a career for you it could turn into something bigger for you to you know get you into the organization teach you our values develop you great great parts people are worth their weight in gold sure yeah (laughs) and they're infinitely helpful and uh, it's, it's sad to see, you know, some of the players in the industry push towards using, I guess maybe overusing technology as a crutch. Like we don't need to bring in and cultivate experienced parts, people, knowledgeable parts, but we don't need to, because we've got these great point of sale systems and there are these great cataloging systems and that'll do all the work. We just need somebody to push the buttons at the computer and, how do you take that approach or what kind of approach do you take in bringing people in and, and cultivating them like Lucas is saying, or do you take a different approach entirely? Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you need to, and, and kids coming out of school today are really savvy. I mean, they want to know that what the career path looks like. It's not just about a job. It's about what can I do beyond this? So, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm starting as a part-time salesperson or I'm starting as a, you know, a part-time person. I'm a general warehouse worker in a distribution center, but I aspire to be in management and how do I get there? So we do spend time in terms of talking to people um, about their career path. And then we give people more responsibility. I mean, you know, we, in our stores, people can become a, you know, a key holder, which is a really big deal. You know, you're not necessarily a general manager, but you can be a key holder and there's, you know, a a compensation increase for that. Um, You can be a kind of lead supervisor in a distribution center um, which is a sort of elevated role and, uh, you know, you're still hourly, but you're managing people. So what we try to do is, you know, we do training when people come in, we have, um, we want them to really understand our parts. I mean, obviously we sell a lot of SKUs, but we also want them to get comfortable with, um, installing batteries, you know, checking the engine light. I mean, really, um, changing wiper blades, all of those things that, you know, the customers know are a free service. So we spend a lot of time on the, you know, the product component, the selling component, and then, um, you know, the kind of the customer experience component of it. And then we try to give people opportunities. But the, you know, the best way to demonstrate to people that they can have a career in the company is to show them. I mean, we have a lot of people that started out. I mean, we have some, you know, executives that report to the CEO that started out in our stores, um, you know, selling parts. And we're really proud of that. We make a big deal of that. And it's really important in our business not to just to kind of come into corporate and get a big job. I and mean, we want people in the stores, in the distribution centers that, you know, know how the business works. So it's a lot of training, but it's also showing them, um, you know, 
giving them uh, people to aspire to be, and then also sharing a lot of these success stories that I think, you know, helps us, helps with the turnover, and then trying to promote from within as much as we can. I mean, we really look at that. We, uh, you know, want to make sure that if we have a general manager opening in the store, is there somebody in the store that we can promote into that role? And, uh, you know, we do have training programs to get people ready. We're doing something similar for our district managers who manage about, you know, 15 stores. Uh, So we spend a lot of time on that because, you know, if people just think they're going to come in and be, you know, an hourly person for the rest of their lives, like you said, you know, they're doing oil, they're doing all this stuff and they just don't feel like they see any sort of upward mobility, they're going to leave. So it's important to spend the time showing them, okay, we're going to actually give you more technical skills instead of oil, you know, you're going to do stuff with engines, you're going to do stuff with chassis, I mean, whatever it is. um, It's, uh, I think it's important to give people that technical experience. And I think they'll appreciate it, and you'll get more out of them. But it's, it's an investment of time. And it's an investment of training. And it's hard when you only have five people in a shop, you may not have the time to spend training someone. So you've got to get creative with figuring out how to do it. You know, does someone shadow someone? Um, there's lots of different ways to do it, but it, it is important to invest that time. I, you know, and, and that is a really great point. And it kind of leads me to um, something. And, and one of the, the things that I heard you speak about that made me so interested about getting you on the podcast was I heard you speak about mentorship versus sponsorship. And I know it was in a completely different context, Mm -hmm. but one of the things, and, and I don't want to say it's like a plague, but it has been an issue, um, especially on the technical side of the business where we see technicians who truly kind of lock up when it comes to guiding that next technician on the path Mm -hmm. that they came down. Right. Mm-hmm. Showing them the ropes and, and teaching them and guiding them and, and being there for them. Now, I'm super blessed. I've got two really great, very experienced technicians mm-hmm. who work with our apprentices and mentor through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think in so many ways that mentorship and sponsorship process is so important, even though it's not at a corporate executive level. How important is it in our shops that we're properly mentoring and sponsoring these people, helping them advance and move forward? Oh, hold on. <laughs> First, let's talk about what the difference is. Build the framework here. I have no idea about it. You didn't listen to the podcast? I was going to get to that part. Oh, I listened to it like six times. I listened to it like six times. You're you're already making me feel bad about it and yelling at my employees every single morning. So I got to change that. (laughs) (laughs) So baby steps here, baby steps. Let's talk about, I I can explain, I can explain the difference and then go into it. No problem. And I am not offended. You're busy. Uh, so yeah, I mean, a mentor is somebody that you talk to. It's someone that you can go to for advice. They're going to help you. Um, I think mentors are really important. You can have peer mentors. You can have people, you know, that are mentors in your personal life. You know, someone that uh, you went to school with, uh, you know, a previous teacher or a professor, um, someone that's in your community church or whatever faith that you practice, um, you know, a neighbor. I mean, everyone needs to talk to somebody and, you know, get advice and hopefully they give advice too. 
a sponsor is somebody that has the power to impact your career and the power to hire you. I mean, that's the big difference. A lot of times mentors um, don't have the jobs in front of them that they can put you into or have the opportunities. Maybe they can help you network to find a different opportunity, but it's really the sponsors that have the opportunity to impact your career, either financially or, you know, through upward mobility by giving you another role. I think, you know, when it comes to you know, if we're talking about shop owners and we're talking about a smaller shop, I'm glad to hear that your technicians help other people out. I mean, I just look at it as a pay it forward concept, right? So the more the tech helps um, a newer tech, maybe just coming out of school, it's going to make the more experienced tech's, tech's life better because there's another person in the shop that will know what it's doing. And it's, you know, kind of like a pay it forward concept. I mean, it doesn't cost anything to mentor someone and give them advice or being a listening ear. And again, it goes just back to, I think, being a good human and caring about people. And hopefully if your shop has a culture where everyone's a family, they're looking out for each other. You know, you wouldn't let your brother step on a rake and get embarrassed or your sister, or, you know, you're, you want to look after your mom or your dad. So I encourage mentorship. It can be really informal, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think if people are um, putting themselves out there and giving time, I think it comes back to you because your mentor at some point can probably help you in maybe a way that you've never thought of, you know, in terms of sponsorship, I think, you know, it's, it's probably a little bit harder concept in a, in a smaller shop, but, you know, I, I think, it, it is important to have career conversations with people that work for you. What do they want to do? You know, it may not be that they get a bigger job, but maybe it's more about learning a different technical skill that they didn't have. Maybe a shop owner at some point is thinking about retiring. They don't have anyone in their family to pass the business along to. I know, you know, a lot of times um, it stays within a family. And, you know, maybe you found somebody in the shop that you think highly of and you see that potential and you talk to them about that. So, I do think that it's important for people to know the difference between mentors and sponsors. Um, you know, if there's more than one manager in a shop, then, you know, sponsorship becomes a lot more important and you need to understand if um, people support more than, you know, the people that are making the hiring decisions support you or not. But I think, um, you know, I think it's important to have both. And I think that, you know, if you are a more experienced tech in a shop and can spend time teaching a less experienced person, I think at the end of the day, it's going to make you feel good. Maybe you're investing time and, you know, it's, it's a pain, but I, I do think that it, you know, it does pay off. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that, that, um, we have talked about over and over again within our own shop on that tune is, is that if we are lifting up that next generation and getting them excited about training, getting them hungry about training, they will continue that career development on their own in most cases. But somebody has to get them hungry. Somebody has to get them excited. And to that tune, you know, in your stores, for instance, I know you do a lot of training. And one of the things that we've implemented in my shop, and I'll get your feel for it, is we've implemented a minimum uh, accept acceptable level of training per mm -hmm. year. So mm -hmm. we say in our shop and it, and a lot of people call us crazy for this and thanks to CTI, because if we didn't have that this year, it wouldn't mm -hmm. have happened. Okay. Um, we say a hundred hours a year minimum. Mm -hmm. Right. And we want to drive them forward. How do you feel about making mandatory training? You know, whether it's an hour or, or specific classes, how do you set that up and, and what's your recommendation for a small shop like me? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we're big believers in it. I do think it needs to be leader-led. So I think if you're a shop owner, I think that um, demonstrating to people that you've actually gone through the training yourself and telling people why it's valuable will go a long way versus just saying this training is mandatory and you got to go do it. Um, but I think, you know, there are a lot of successful companies out there that believe in leader-led training. Um, I think Pitney Bowes does it. Philip Morris at one point did it. I think General Electric did it. And it's something that we are trying to do more of in at advance. So it's everything from a leader to attending the training session to make sure people are taking the training and understanding, walking through a store with someone to say, okay, you just took this, um, you know, this class on breaks, let's, let's talk through it. So I think it's, um, it's one of those things where you have to walk the talk. I think if you want people to take the training and you're a shop owner, you have to take it too. You have to underscore the importance of it. And um, I think it'll resonate more with people than this is a mandatory class and how quickly can I go through this training so I can, you know, um, get back to all the other stuff that I need to do. That's a very, very valid point. And, you know, we've, we've kind of implemented some cross training in our shop. So they're not just doing, you know, the techs are doing some technical, but then we'll drop the service advisor and myself in that technical class. Mm -hmm. And then we'll bring the techs and we'll put them in a management or a sales class and help mm -hmm. them understand both sides of the organization because That's great. that knowledge is power, right? Mm -hmm. When they're able sure. to see that and operate within that knowledge, man, it makes the team run like a well-old sewing machine for sure. Yep. That's great. What are you seeing as some of the challenges uh, from from your end uh, as it relates to the independent shop owner? Like, you know, are your let's say your frustrations? Uh, do you see? Do you hear anything in particular? Are you seeing like trends from uh, in, in the way of shop owners maybe trending towards a specific direction as far as parts or how they deal with the stores? You know that type of thing. How they deal with their salespeople. I'm I'm not the nicest sometimes to my salespeople. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think the you know you you talked about it earlier. I think the feedback that we get from independent owners, it's just so hard to find techs and good techs, and then keeping them. So I think all the the talk that we had about turnover is really important. I think that um, shop owners want the ability to access training. So for you know those that are. Um, you know, leverage our, our, our CTI and, and WTI training. I think they got a lot out of that. And we work with, you know, lots of shop owners and kind of bigger customers on that as well. Um, so I think those are things that are really important. And then, you know, COVID over the last year, it's just been really tough for small businesses. And I think shop owners are included in that. I mean, I think the you know, overall in the industry, the pro business is a bit down. Um, so, you know, people were not driving, right. So you have less, um, you know, less vehicles on the road, less need for repairs, or, you know, you got a lot of people unemployed, they didn't want to pay for repairs. So, you know, the retail business, um, was very healthy. A lot of people were repairing the cars themselves. So, um, you know, I, I think a lot of shop owners are trying to figure out how do they get through COVID, um, you know, how do they break even with their business? And also, you know, people don't want to let people go. I mean, there are a lot of small businesses that unfortunately, you know, went down to one to two people just because, you know, they, the cash flow wasn't there and they couldn't afford to keep people on. And I know for the smaller shop owners in particular, I mean, every tech is worth their weight in gold. I mean, the, you know, the bigger ones too. So, 
Um, I know people are very sensitive around, okay, we've got to keep our business afloat, but at the same time, we don't want to lose this great talent that we have. Do you see the, the CTI and the WTI training as integral to what you guys do? Because, I mean, it, it's unique. There are a lot of big part suppliers out there, and they all do training. They dabble. Let's say yep. it that way. <laughs> yeah. There, there isn't as a comprehensive plan as, as right. what you guys put out. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, I think, you know, if Bob Cushing was here, he'd give you 20 reasons why it's so important. I mean, I think it's unique in the industry. We get a lot of positive feedback on it. Our Technic customers, um, you know, tell us that they they swear by it, they, you know, and they expect it from us. So I think that um, on the pro side of our business, it is, uh, you know, something we can't live without. It's our point of difference. And a lot of people are counting on us to train their techs with it which is, you know, kind of interesting, right? I think on the retail side, um, there's definitely things that, you know, we leverage with our CPPs so they become more knowledgeable and they can help, you know, the customers that call them. But um, I would say it's probably most powerful on the pro side. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that that stands out to me in this conversation is is we're kind of all working towards the same goal. And, and by that, I mean this. The Auto Shop Owners Group, the real concept and the idea of it is we want to help improve shop owners by creating a hunger for training, a hunger for information. And, and, you know, all too often, maybe one of your staff members goes out and talks to them about an in-person training. Maybe somebody says something about this event that's coming up and they have this opportunity to go to it and they look at it and they say, you know, I don't have time. I don't have money. That doesn't apply to me. Or maybe it's a, a local association like the Independent Garage Owners of North Carolina, and they say, yeah, that's $350 a year. I could use that $350 a year to do whatever. Right. And so ASOG is a, as an opportunity on Facebook for somebody to come in to this group and begin to learn and, mm-hmm. and see some information. And that's really where my business started to grow. And, and mm. I started to see a different way of doing things, right? Mm -hmm. I I spent my first few years as shop owner trying to reinvent a wheel that had already been perfected. There's Mm -hmm. a way to do this that works. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's so interesting because while ASOG's whole vision is to do that, you know, you've got people on the ground that are going into stores who are very politely nudging shop owners Mm -hmm. who are, are, probably not exactly willing to change saying, Hey, um, there's some great information here. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I've even had Leslie white come into my office and say, Lucas, I don't think I would do this like this. What if you tried this? Mm -hmm. I'm like, Leslie, listen, I'm open to your ideas. I promise I'm all ears. Let's talk about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think that we have a partnership in a lot of ways with our part suppliers to improve the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that I think about, you know, we've had some folks on that said, if you would just clean your bathroom, change the light bulbs and vacuum the, the you know, rugs coming into the shop, you could make the, the industry significantly more professional overnight. You know, if you mm-hmm. just do these couple of little things. Mm-hmm. So I have a question and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I have a sure. question. Okay. You came out of a completely different field. Mm-hmm. And you came into automotive. Mm-hmm. What has been your experience 
with auto repair shops. What's your perspective of auto repair shops? I mean, I have a whole new appreciation for them. Um, and I think, and I've, you know, and I have been to, um, unfortunately some collision shops, much to my husband's, uh, chagrin. (laughs) I don't really want to go into what it is. I don't want to relive that pain. Um, and then also getting, you know, just the car repaired and, you know, people in my family going and getting their oil changed. I mean, I, you know, I think that, uh, for a lot of people that don't work in auto, it's sort of acceptable to go into the shop and, you know, hear what, you know, the tech has to say, or the shop owner has to say, and, you know, you don't have the knowledge, so you just kind of go with what they're saying. Or if it seems really expensive, you go somewhere else and you get a second quote. Um, and then you go where you feel more comfortable. I think, you know, now I, I really pay attention to, you know, how people are speaking to me. Are they explaining the issue? Um, sometimes there's more than one way to solve the problem. And I, I really want to understand the why behind it. And again, I'm not a technical right. expert, but, you know, now I know a little bit more than I did, you know, five years ago. And um, I, I do have a great appreciation for the whole customer service element, because I think someone who takes, you know, the time to explain to me what the repair is going to look like, the labor costs, anything else that goes into it that makes up, you know, not only the, you know, the time that it takes, but also the price, um, you know, that goes a long way. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, in the past, maybe I didn't ask all those questions or I went into a shop and they said, okay, this is a woman, she's not going to understand and I'm not going to take the time to explain it to her. And, you know, at, at, at that period in in time, for me, it was more about cost and, okay, is someone raking me over the coals or not? And I have a whole new appreciation for it now, for sure. And, and, you know, it's very interesting that you say that because all too often shop owners get in their head that it's all about the cost, right? Mm -hmm. All the clients focused on is how much that cost. Mm -hmm. And, and we work very hard to explain it's the value Right. It's what right. we're bringing to the table. It's the trust level. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I work very hard to make sure our clients, especially uh, the ladies who come into the shop to make sure they trust us and understand what we're showing them. And I will stop at no length. We'll go out into the shop. We've got pictures, we've got videos, we'll play videos of, of how the system is supposed to work and what we're currently experiencing. We'll take old parts and new parts and lay them beside each other mm-hmm. just to make sure that we're all on the same page and everybody understands that, you know, I was in that boat. I thought it was all about the price mm-hmm. and it was the race to the bottom. Right. And over time I've learned it doesn't really have anything to do with price. It has a lot to do with value and trust. That's probably the most important part of it. Yeah. And safety, right? Cause I think yes. it, particularly if you have, you know, it's a family car, you have kids in the car, parents in the car. I mean, you know, someone is going to spend a little bit more to make the car safe if they're able to. So I I agree with everything you said. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is just fantastic. Have you got anything you want to cover? No. Natalie, do you have (laughs) anything you want auto repair shop owners to know? Well, I hope they only, I hope they only shop with advanced auto parts. I mean, they're calling their advanced auto parts, you know, CPP and they're working with their, you know, their local cam. I mean, I think, you know, we, we care a lot about our our people at advance and we care a lot about our customers. And, you know, it sounds like you both have great examples of that. So I just would want the shop owners to know, we feel like 
that's the difference that makes a difference. So, you know, we appreciate the business that we get from you. And, um, you know, I think our, our team members, I think, care about the people that they work with and the people that they serve. So hopefully you see that um, as a, you know, as a difference that makes a difference for advance. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. We hope to have more conversations coming your way from influential executives within the industry today to bring you a different perspective on how we run our businesses. So if you'd like to catch these episodes early, you can do so by becoming a patron. Just go to asog.site and click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a patron helps support the show, gets you several perks, and is tax deductible. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and on YouTube. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you have any topic suggestions, please reach out to me via email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy-to-use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.